the advice I would give them is to really focus on, on the vision. People don't judge you based on what you have now. They do a little bit, especially if you're a customer, but if you're pitching and you're trying to share your idea with people, you uh, you want to convey the vision. Like, where, what can this be? What can this do? How can this help people? That's That's huge, because if you can convince people that what you're doing is the right thing, they'll know that you're going to make it happen and that you're um, you're on the right path. Even if you're not there right now, what you're going to do is, um, is going to be something amazing. I'm Alex Deeb, co-founder and CEO of Classhook. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Alex Deeb created the platform for educators to increase student engagement using popular media. All this and more on Code Story. Alex Deeb was influenced by the education space early on. He had many teachers who inspired him through his life, and his parents pushed him to do well in school in order to obtain better opportunities. Alongside that, he's interested in equitable opportunities, which is a big driver for him in his professional ventures. He's passionate about helping others learn about new opportunities. He grew up in Long Island, New York, so of course, he loves pizza. He frequents the best local pizza house, which in his opinion is Stella's. He gets two slices of regular cheese with a Coke, which he says is the only time he drinks soda. One day, he and his friends got together to have a business brainstorming session. One of the questions that came up was how can you make videos searchable? Also, how can you improve the engagement within schools, perhaps with popular media? This is the creation story of Classhook. Classhook essentially helps K-12 teachers and students create more fun learning experiences using popular TV shows and movies. So if you're a teacher, you can come up to Classhook, find a video from The Simpsons or The Office or from Big Hero 6 or whatever movie or show you like and find an educational scene related to whatever topic you're teaching, whether it's math or English. Uh, We have content across the curriculum mostly the core subjects, but also business, health, uh, social, emotional learning, a lot of focus areas for, for schools today. Making learning interactive as well. So besides finding the videos, you can come on and teachers can create live discussions. They can embed questions in the videos. They, we have a vocabulary finder they can use to teach vocabulary through a uh, TV show or movie instead of some boring YouTube video or something else. Classic's a, uh, a great resource for, for them. We currently have 20,000 teachers in over 20,000 schools using Classic today. It really came about initially from a brainstorming session at uh, my alma mater, Babson College. For those that don't know, Babson's a top entrepreneurial school, and it wasn't unusual for us to have business kind of brainstorming sessions (laughs) where I uh, got together with some friends and we just thought about business ideas to, to pursue. One of the things that really caught my attention was like I, I, whenever I would go to YouTube or some, some watch a video, I, I don't like watching videos. I prefer to read uh, to get information because I can skim through it very quickly. 
I would uh, wonder, hey, how can I get to the meat of what I want to learn um, in, in this video quicker? And so basically searching within video and kind of took that to my co-founder, Joyce, who has uh, experience as an educator and has been tutoring. And she said, oh, you know, maybe we can apply this to education. You know, we talked to a bunch of teachers about learning with video and, and how they engage their students and also reflected on our own learning and realized, you know, there are a lot of things that could have been better. I could have been more engaged. I could have learned a little bit more about this and that. And since education is so big, of course, you have to focus on something. But the inspiration came back to um, what can we do to create more opportunities for students? Because I was fortunate, my co-founder was fortunate um, that we were able to you know, go through a, a good good school and then go to go to college and many people don't have that opportunity. What can we do to help basically elevate people? Um, and long story short, after talking to tens of teachers, uh, probably over 50 teachers in the initial stages, and then doing a lot of research, um, we found that there's a pretty big challenge with engaging students. Student engagement drops from in fifth grade from about 74% to just 32% in 11th grade. So pretty much two thirds of kids are not are not engaged. They don't find learning to be important or relevant. And so we want to increase that relevance and we want kids to understand that like learning is important because when they're not engaged, a whole host of other problems come up, you know, behavioral problems, school dropouts. They don't, they don't really find value in their learning and don't have as much hope for the future. So um, that was a really kind of eye-opening study that, that got us to focus on engagement. The last piece of this, what can we do specifically to to elevate, to increase student engagement? And there are so many people making videos and their own content. And we said, well, what, what do students relate to? And how do we incorporate that in the classroom? And the answer for us was popular media, TV shows and movies. And so that that's what helped us focus on that. Well, let's dive into the MVP. Tell me about that first product you built. You know, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? The MVP, of course, is not very pretty. Um, it was a uh, Ruby on Rails application. Um, I coded it up and it was pretty much just like a listing of clips. It didn't look very nice at all. We, we managed to pull up some, some videos from like, I think our first video clip was from Futurama about uh, climate change. And if you search Futurama Global Warming on Classic.com, you'll find it. And I got that recommendation from a friend. So that was the first version is just you know, a simple listing of video clips and like maybe a description about it. But the great thing we had going with Classic was as I was having these conversations with teachers, I was continually refining the app. And so we added things pretty quickly, like these are the grade levels that the, the video is for. Here's a description, you know, here's how many teachers have used it. We're basically taking all the criteria that teachers have when they're searching for content and incorporating that in the platform. So with any MVP in that first version, right, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs around, you know, what you're going to start with and what you're going to cut. And you're kind of, you're kind of touching on a few things in your explanation of the MVP, but I want to dive into it. Tell me about some of the decisions and trade-offs you had to make um, in that first product and, and how you coped with them. Yeah, one of the biggest decisions we made, which you know, we, I might go back on is, is focusing very broadly because we wanted to crowdsource the videos. You know, we had this impression that teachers were using all these video clips, which they are, but we had the impression that they would come to us and submit them. And then we, you know, aggregate all these educational scenes from TV shows and movies in one place. And 
Um, so we had a way for them to submit videos. We still do today and we still we still get submissions, but I think we, we thought that we would get so many contributions um, given the, this very small user base we had. And that's why we've opened up to all subjects K-12. The trade-off we made there was not being very hyper-local and very specific to certain types of educators, let's say, you know, elementary science teachers. We could have found a compilation of videos for them. Classic would be a wonderful solution for just that demographic, and then we'd expand from there. But because of the crowdsourcing idea and uh, the hope we had, we, we kept it open to everything. And, and we still have it open to everything today. What we found was, of course, that teachers are coming to us for content. They don't necessarily have these educational scenes in mind. The ones that do, they do, they do sometimes submit to us. So we're, you know, we're still kind of pushing the the crowdsourcing a bit, but we've really taken the responsibility ourselves to to source the content. So you've got an MVP. Um, how did you go about progressing it and maturing it? And I think to wrap that in a box, how did you build your roadmap? And how did you decide? Okay, this is the next most important thing to build. Great question, and we didn't have a good sense of roadmap uh, at the time. We're very user-driven, and we started from the beginning. Um, my last startup was in education on the student side, but it didn't really go anywhere. And one of the key learnings I got was it, I didn't talk enough to users. I didn't understand what their needs are or what their pains are. And so with Classic, we took a very different approach, talking to users all the time, you know, obsessively in the beginning, having these conversations with them about what do they need, what are the sorts of uh, ways they search for content, what are the features they need, and then building those in the product and then making sure we really understand the intention behind the features, not just, oh, you know, I would like a button here to do this. It's like, well, why do you want that? Right? Why, why is that important to you? What does that help you accomplish? We had those um, you know, user empathy questions, uh, user interview questions, really much more solid this time around. Uh, and then that's that kind of informed the roadmap. It was it was a part time thing for a while, so we didn't really have um, too much a sense of priority. But what we were hearing most from teachers, we we incorporated in the product. Let's switch to team. So how did you build your team, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? Yeah, we're still a small team, but I could speak to about my co-founder. She, we have very complementary skill sets. So um, I'm really good on the tech side. I'm good on the startup side. I worked in Silicon Valley and I had my own startup. So kind of figuring out how to be scrappies is my thing. <laughs> Joyce has experience as an educator and um, as a tutor um, and also in the sales side. So she's she's really good at those, you know, those, those areas. So that's... Uh, that's why I look for like, who can fill in gaps for me that I don't that I can't fill in myself. Um, and then on the team side, we look for people who can work very autonomously, who can take things and run with it. You know, I don't have time with our, with how small our team is right now still, and the limited resources. I don't have time to manage people and kind of babysit people. So we look for people who are self-starters, who are self-learners, who are very empathetic to users. So it doesn't matter what department you're in. We want you to, to understand the pain that users have. We want you to understand um, you know, and try to figure out how you can support users because that's that's our goal. Every department we see as, has that responsibility even if you're not directly doing it, you're indirectly supporting users. Those are the main, main characteristics, I think. Uh, being very autonomous, being able to figure things out. And then the last one is having a lot of user empathy, being able to, to really see things from the user's perspective. What have you done to secure this type, these type of people? Like, what have what has been most effective to find and secure this type of talent? 
it's difficult and we don't always we don't always get it right. We ask a lot of questions about how they work, how how they handle uncertainty. We look at past projects, past performance. Um, it does does depend on the role that they're into. Of course, like we'll weigh some areas more than others. Like for example, if they're a content specialist, they're going out watching movies, finding content for our website, which for many people is like a dream job. <laughs> finding just watching TV shows and movies. Even for them, we want them to understand. You know, these are what educators. This is what educators look for. This is what would be appropriate in a classroom. This is what is is useful for showing certain concepts. We also do, in some cases, do an assessment, like maybe hire them on contract for a part-time, and then we'll see how they're performing, and then you know maybe offer a full-time or, or a longer-term, um, longer-term working arrangement with us, just to reduce risk. So I think being very diligent about the the questions we ask, um, and making sure that questions we ask really get to the heart of understanding who that person is and what are their motivations during the interview process is um, is what we do. So let's switch to scalability then. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or are you fighting this as you grow? Definitely fighting as we grow. I'm a, I'm a believer in being pretty scrappy, of course, in the beginning, because you don't know what something will turn into. And I think many people might might agree with that. Now, yeah, we're seeing issues where during peak periods of usage at, at schools, because we have a seasonal business right now, you know, in December, it's not, uh, there's not very much usage, especially as we're right by the holidays. So great time for us to unwind and, and also focus on certain uh, product development tasks without having to worry about user affecting users too much. Yeah, we built it just to, to we kind of built it very scrappy at first. And then now, now we're, we're dealing with the growing pains. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of the almost like all in all in one solution we've made for helping teachers not only find a video clip that's really engaging and really high quality and really fun for their students, but also they can use it interactively to increase student engagement and get students invested in their own learning. The the kind of whole suite of engagement tools we've built alongside the platform or alongside the video clips. I kind of wouldn't have imagined imagined the platform to transform into this, you know, if you asked me when we started. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Really early on, we launched a feature called Activity Feed where teachers can see what other teachers are doing. You know, they can follow them kind of like kind of like Twitter. It was a waste of time. <laughs> we got some teachers to sign up for it and try it out, but no one was really using it. And we also didn't even have metrics to see who was using it or how they were using it. It was something we just kind of threw together because we thought it would be useful. You know, looking back, I think it's still useful, but there's a lot of different a lot of changes I would make to it. We really just launched it because we thought it would be innovative and cool and we based it off of social media, but um, we didn't really understand. We didn't really do the due diligence to understand what sorts of pains or what uh, it would solve or how it would help teachers. What does the future look like for your product and for your team? So actually Classic will be transforming quite a bit, uh, at least that's how I see it in the future. We will be transitioning more to a machine learning company being focused on identifying, automatically identifying learning moments in popular TV shows and movies so that anyone could learn through their favorite media, whether it's your favorite podcast like Code Story or it's your favorite uh, radio segment or favorite YouTuber. We want anyone to learn through whatever medium is most comfortable for them. And we want to 
develop, develop the technology to power that. Our team is going to be a lot more focused on that, um, hopefully in the coming months. We're also going to be changing the team to have you know much more of a, a technical presence, more data scientists, more machine learning engineers. But we do see the team growing quite a bit, so we're we're hoping to to hire more of technical folks, but also of course more non-technical folks. Maybe even some in the media industry, media entertainment industry, because we will be catering our product to media entertainment companies like Disney and Netflix and such. Well, let's switch to you, Alex. So, who influences the way that you work? Name a CEO, a CTO, an architect, really any person that you look up to and why. I look up to Bill Gates just for his philanthropical efforts and just what kind of impact he's had on the world. In terms of working, I do look up to Elon Musk. I know he doesn't have very healthy working habits, but kind of that intense focus on productivity and getting things done, regardless of what people think. You know, if he thinks it's the right thing to do, he's going to do it. And so really having that, that, that conviction that what you're doing is the right thing, that very, very strong, uh, the, some of the strongest conviction I've seen from him that this is the right thing to do is, uh, is just very inspiring and, and makes, you want, makes me want to, to do more and achieve more. Well, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I would focus more on prioritization and using my time wisely because I would be thrown in all these different directions. You know, my previous startup was like a very, it was only a solo operation. So um, I'm not used to like having people reach out and doing, doing podcasts and doing all these sorts of initiatives and everyone wants your attention and it's, you know, people, both people internally and externally and really prioritizing, like focusing on what's important and what's going to help us hone in on certain metrics and improve certain metrics. That's, uh, that's what I would. That's one thing that I would definitely improve uh, my prioritization skills and, and time management skills. The other thing would be catering the product to a more specific niche. So, as I mentioned earlier, focusing on like elementary science teachers at first, and then expanding from there. Just because when we started out, a lot of teachers were coming on the platform, but they were finding there's not enough content for their needs. We might have, let's just say, ten videos, and two are for science, two are for English, two are for math. You know, a math teacher is not going to want more than two, two videos. If we had focused from the beginning, you know, we would have 10 science videos as an example, and there would be just be more of a, a robust offering for that specific um, niche. Well, last question, Alex. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? The advice I would give them is to really focus on on the vision for what they're they're pitching. People don't judge you based on what you have now. If you're pitching and you're trying to share your idea with people, you uh, you want to convey the vision. Like, where what can this be? What can this do? How can this help people? That's that's huge because if you can convince people that what you're doing is the right thing, they'll know that you're going to make it happen and that you're uh, you're on the right path. Even if you're not there right now, what you're going to do is, um, is going to be something amazing. That's great advice. Well, Alex, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for telling the creation story of Classhook. Thanks so much for having me, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. 
Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.